0: A few weeks ago, um, several of us went up to a conference in Michigan. And uh, you've probably never heard of the church. It's Mars Hill Church. Uh, a couple of us had heard the pastor there, the founding pastor. And, you know, we're driving in the middle of Michigan. It's snowing. You know, it's like from Detroit. It's three hours. We flew into Detroit, drove over there. It's snowing. There's ice. It's it's stinking cold in uh, in southern Michigan. And we get to this place, and I'd heard that they were meeting in a mall. And when I say they're meeting in a mall, I mean, the church is the mall. This used to it's formerly known as a mall. Someone gave it to them, And like, so if you were to compare it, it's actually bigger than our mall here in Palestine. If you were to compare it, J C JCPenney would be the worship center. That's where, you know, and they have like three services on Sunday and they have about 3000 people in each service. Um, then if you walk out of JCPenney and go down, you know, like the goodies, that would be the children's area. And actually we don't have another spot across from that. That would be the nursery. Um, that's the. if you get down to blue cross blue shield, that's the, that's the, um, youth area. And then there's offices all over the place. And as, as I walked around there, I realized I was getting a disease. Um, and it, it actually has a medical term and, and I wanted to see if you could come up with this. This medical term. Here, let's put it up here on the screen. Anybody knows what know what that is? Steeple envy. I had the most serious case of steeple envy I've ever had in my life. I was walking around going, dude, somebody needs to give us Palestine mall. Because we could just do so much with Palestine Mall. Because, like, you know, nobody shops there, so why don't they just give it to us? You know, we could use it for God's stuff and not just for our stuff. Well, here's the definition of steeple envy. Discontent and ill will over another's ch- another church's steeple, building, offering, equipment, furniture, staff, location. You just keep on going ad nauseum. I don't know if you've ever had steeple envy, but I'm willing to bet that you've had some type of ill will over another person's good fortune. Now, the more the more spiritually mature of you are saying, oh, not me. Don't say that out loud, because let me give you some examples. You ever been driving, you know, your car and then you go get in a friend's brand new car and you smell it and you feel it. And what 10 minutes earlier was a perfectly acceptable form of transportation. Now, in your mind, is a piece of trash compared to this. And you want it. Okay, no, no, you're laughing. So nobody's ever done that. Um, Have you ever been perfectly content with the house in which you live? Until your friend builds a new one, custom cabinets, a big old shower that the whole family, you know, never mind. That's not even worth thinking about in their bathing suits. They could they could swim in there. Have you ever thought about why so many people dread their high school reunion? Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. The whole thing is they, you know, they're not good enough in their own eyes. They're worried about what everybody else is going to think. So Romy and Michelle, I don't remember which one, decides she's going to tell everybody that she invented post-it notes so that she could be a success because she was worried about what other people were thinking. Um, We've all had envy. Ever, Ever had the house envy? Okay. have you ever had... Spouse envy. And if you have, don't admit it right now. This is not the time or the place. I just want you in your mind to give mental assent to what I just said. Uh, yeah, spouse envy. Because you think, God, if only my spouse would do what they do. And some of you are going, no, I don't have spouse envy. I just want my spouse to change. You do have spouse envy if, you, if you're wanting your spouse to change. Car envy. Kid envy. Clothing envy. Every one of us suffers from envy in some area. And probably in America, the most dangerous envy is the area of possession. So today, we're going to talk about materialism. That may be why we have a down crowd, because I said we were going to talk about that today. Materialism is a preoccupation with things. But here's the real problem with materialism Um, it's not tangible. Your weight is tangible. My weight is way too tangible. I can measure it and I don't like it and I'm not going to tell you what mine is. Jeff always tells me what his is and I am envious and I want him to shut up about his weight because it's less than mine. It's a lot less than mine. And he reminds me of that all the time. Nothing but love from our sound man. Um, your, your debt is measurable, but materialism is an intangible condition of the heart, and it can't be measured. So my question today is, where does materialism begin? And the simple answer that we're going to develop for a few minutes is, the simple answer is, materialism begins where my income ends. Materialism begins where your income ends. See, we we are experts at diagnosing materialism in others, but we're not so good at diagnosing it in ourselves. Let me explain. If you make thirty thousand dollars a year, you don't think other people who make thirty thousand dollars a year are materialistic. You think people who make sixty thousand dollars a year are materialistic because you're thinking, what I couldn't do with an extra thirty grand a year, right? If you make sixty thousand dollars a year, you don't think other people who make sixty thousand dollars a year are materialistic. You think people who make a hundred or one hundred and twenty thousand dollars are materialistic. Right? Materialism begins where my income ends, where your income ends. We see something, we see somebody else get something new and we think, oh, what a waste of money. What were they thinking? They are so materialistic. And this is the point where we've entered The danger zone. We've been talking about being in God's zone. Well, the danger zone. The danger zone is where I set myself up as judge and jury on your motives, on the condition of your heart. If I look at you and I call you materialistic, that means I know your relationship with God and I know your motives. Is there any way I can know that? No. And you can't know that about me. So I stink at being God. You do, too. He's got a job and he's not abdicated the throne. So you and I need to quit being material, quit judging others and calling them materialistic. And we need to figure out what's going on in our own hearts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to diagnose materialism in ourselves. Now, this is really going to be bad. I've practiced this and it's going to be bad. Let's see if you can figure out what this is. Oh, that was bad. Oh, good. We could play. You could be my partner in in Pictionary because you figured it out. All right. That's an airplane. That kind of looks like looks like a turtle. So we'll just put a smile on it and pretend it's a turtle. It's a flying turtle. Okay. now, materialism. Y'all can't even see it, can you? Let's see if we can help you out. Materialism. All right. Now, there are two big fat engines that Satan, your enemy and my enemy, wants you to, to fire up so that he can have materialism dominate your life. Let's say that the airplane represents your life. There are two engines that Satan wants to attach to your airplane that will, take, that will make materialism dominate your life. The first one we've talked about is envy. It's looking at someone else and going, "Ah, oh, if only I had that, if only we'll kill you. Because what here's here's what happens. Satan knows that if you become envious, that instead of connecting with God and connecting with other people, what will happen is you'll build walls between you and God and between you and other people. So he's like, fire up that engine of envy. The other big fat engine is greed, The deal with greed is you run around like a child. You ever seen kids when someone comes to their house, comes in their zone? Mine, 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 mine. You ever seen an adult who acts like that? You don't get to enjoy your stuff because you're too busy protecting it. Don't you touch my stuff. We were talking to Caleb about buying a car because we're like, dude, we're not doing it. You need to learn to save. We've got this whole financial plan that we're working with him on. And, and then uh, he goes, I don't know if I can save enough money. And Janie said to him, dude, you're not driving my car. <laughs> I looked at him and said, you're not driving my car. You better mow a lot of lawns in the next four years if you're expecting to get a car. But what we do when we're when we're greedy is we hoard all of our stuff and we build walls around it. Don't you come in here. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. That's my stuff. Don't you touch my stuff. And the problem is God says, it's not your stuff. It's all my stuff. So the problem with, with fueling materialism is this plane, this life, is on a self-destruct mission. Because these two engines never—they weren't designed for you to fly long distances. They were designed to get you at the highest height possible, turn you towards the ground, and cause you to crash in the largest spectacle possible because the enemy wants to destroy your life. And if he can get a hold of materialism in your life, and you crash, and people know that you claim to be a Christ follower, and it's this huge spectacle, then the enemy wins. And God never designed us to function that way. So what do we do? Well, first thing we got to do is we got to choose to live in the zone. And so if you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we've decided that instead of me drawing it, we've got a video of me doing the in the zone talk. So uh, check this out. Here is the zone. This is God's sweet success. Ka-ching, ka-ching. What he does, he's a giver, reflects his heart, and you've got to be a blessing to others. The end. Okay, y'all got it? Now, the basic idea is God's the blesser. If you live in the zone, you are blessed, and God desires for you to be a blessing to others. So, the first thing on your listening guide today, how are we going to combat materialism? got four things that will help you overcome materialism in your life. The first one is choose to live in the zone. And you may think that this is rather simplistic, living in the zone. I mean, that's what we've been talking about for four weeks. We've got one more week to go. But it's your life and you need to make a choice where you're going to live it. First thing we have to acknowledge is we don't own anything. It is not my stuff. It all belongs to God. But the cool thing is God is not some ruthless taskmaster. God wants you to enjoy your stuff. Well, how do you enjoy the stuff that he's given you? You bring some, we talked about the tithe, 10% is bringing to God what's already God's. That's not giving, that's not an offering, that's bringing to God what's already His. Then you give some, you learn to be generous, then you spend some and you save some. That's what we do in life. And the more successful we are at that, the more we enjoy life. Now, you have to understand that money is just a big fat test. It's a test of your heart condition. Look what Jesus said, talking to His followers in Luke sixteen eleven. He said, If you cannot be trusted with worldly riches, then who will trust you with true riches? Speaking to his disciples. And these people thought, the Israelites thought, that if I have material blessings, that equals the blessings of God, the founder of the universe. Jesus just blows their mind when he says, actually, that's not the case. God's watching to see how you handle financial um, resources to determine whether you can handle spiritual resources. And that blew their minds. Then Jesus continues in, in verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that money is evil. Money's neutral. Money doesn't have feelings. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. But what Jesus is saying, you can't give your heart to money and to God at the same time and live in the zone, live the blessed life. If I love money, then money leads my life. And you've seen it. You can think of people right now, examples in your mind of people who love money, but you're not going to call them materialistic because that would be judging them. So we're not going to do that. Um, but if I lead money, then it gives freedom to my life. It serves me. Well, how do you lead money? Then you, you have to say, I'm a manager. I manage someone else's resources. That's what we've been trying to get across in this whole deal. A manager leads the money. But if Satan can get you envious and greedy, and if he can fuel materialism in your life, then he's gone a long way toward um, getting you out of the zone. How many of you like road construction? Let me see your hand. You like road construction? No one? I hate it. Now, I guess if I were, you know, a road construction engineer and I needed work, I think that's what it is. It's job security. They just keep on creating more and more problems for themselves to solve. That way they always have a job. Well, Satan, your enemy, my enemy, is in the road construction business. Do you know that? Let's say this represents the zone. We'll just call it zone. There are two highways that Satan wants to use to lead you out of the zone. And the thing is, both of these highways that he constructs, are um, one-way streets. They're one-way highways. If you're in the zone, he wants to make it very convenient for you to get out of the zone. If you're not in the zone, he wants to take you further and further away from God, God's blessing, so he builds these two highways. Now, he can't enter the zone. Satan can't live there, but he can come right up next to it and he builds this highway. This first one is the Pride Trip Highway. And it's one way leading you away from God. The pride trip highway says, I did it my way. It's my creativity, my sacrifice, my blood, sweat, tears that got this money. And nobody's going to tell me what to do with my stuff. Pride trip highway, the people that are on this, they want you to see the brand of car that they drive. And they want you to know how much they paid for it so that you'll know you are not on their level. They're all into the the styles that they wear and the, the certain brand that they wear. Back in the day, when I was in college, it was polo. And we were laughing about this because back then it actually had the polo dude on there. Or Izod, it actually had the alligator. That's not cool anymore. It'll be back by the time Caleb gets there, but it's not cool anymore. Everything's cyclical. So when you're on this highway, you're saying, I want you to know that I'm up here and you're down here. Now, none of us would say that out loud, but that's what Satan tries to get us to do. I have to wear this because I have to maintain a certain image, because after all, I am me and no one else can be me as good as me. Now, the other highway that he builds. Is the guilt trip highway. (laughs) The pride trip says, I want you to think I spent more money than I spent. The guilt trip highway says, um, "I want you to think I spent less." Doug, I like that shirt. Oh, this old thing, I got it on clearance at Old Navy, three fifty. The, the sad thing is, when we're blessed as Christians, we feel guilty about it. Now, next week we're going to talk about how to get out of debt and savings and spending. And just the the, the synopsis of what we're going to be talking about is basically. If you're bringing to God, what is God's, if you're saving and you're spending, you know, stuff on life's necessities, then enjoy God's blessings. Don't you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to tell you know, put price stickers on everything to tell folks that I spent less than you think I did, you know, because I'm a Christian I'm a Christ follower. As long as you're doing God's thing, God's way, blessings are nothing to be ashamed of. Now, this uh, this highway God has given us some instructions about how to get off of these highways. Back in the, uh, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land. They've been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. And God reminds them of all the stuff He's done for them for 40 years. Because, you know, I don't want to go hang out with a million people in the wilderness. That just sounds like a a logistical nightmare to me. I've taken a hundred teenagers skiing before. That's a logistical nightmare. I don't want to hang out with with a million people in the desert. But God takes them out there and He says, He says, remember what I did for you in the desert. I protected you. I fed you. I gave you something to drink. And the incredible thing, if you read in Deuteronomy 8, the first part of that chapter, God's just rehearsing all the things he did. He said, for 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out. Your sandals didn't wear out. And then he says, your feet didn't swell. And you didn't even get blisters on your feet wandering around in the wilderness. That's pretty cool to me. That blows my mind. The only person I know who still has clothes from 40 years ago is my dad. (laughs) And they're like got moth holes in them. You know, 40 years God protected them. And he says, when you enter into the promised land, which is the most incredible land I could design for you. When you enter in there, you are going to do some good stuff. And I'm going to bless you unbelievably in a tangible way. And then look what he says. He says, when you begin to prosper, that is the time you need to be careful. Excuse me. You think, you know, you need to be careful in the wilderness because look what he says about the wilderness. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord, your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. That's a big deal. Do not forget that that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. You think I need to be careful where there's poisonous snakes and where I could die from dehydration. And, you know, scorpions, they may not kill me, but they hurt. God gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. I love the name manna because really in in Hebrew, what it means is what's it? Because they literally they walked out of the tents the first time that God provided it. And all of them said, what's that? What's that? What's that? And that's what they called it was manna. What's that? Because they'd never seen it before. It was some miraculous provision from heaven. He says, I gave you this. Your ancestors never knew it. He did this. God did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did it so that you would never think it was your own strength and energy that made you wealthy. And here it is, verse 18. And this is the message straight to you from four thousand years ago. Always remember that it is the Lord, your God, who gives you the power to become rich. And he does it to fulfill the covenant he made with your ancestors. How many people do you know go running to the church when life is going good? I've never had anybody just walk in the back door and say, my life is incredible. That's why I came to church today. But a dime a dozen people through the years have come in and said, my life stinks. My life is falling apart. I know if I don't come to God, I have no hope. The temptation is when things are going well, pat myself on the back, get on the pride trip highway and say, I did it. I'm going to enjoy it. This is an incredible thing. And we've just got to learn that God says... God has, has a promise for everything you're ever going to face. It's in the Bible. That's why the Bible is finished being written. <laughs> That's why you can go to it and find 95% of God's plan for your life. is because it's already written. It's already complete. The other 5%, you only determine by coming into a close relationship with God by prayer and studying His Bible and hanging out with other Christians. That's why church is so necessary so you got to be careful to stay off of these highways. How do we do it? Well, you move to the next step. First step is I'm going to choose to live in the zone. The second step is I'm going to develop an attitude of gratitude, develop an attitude of gratitude. Now, this next verse, we tend to do just the opposite of this verse. Romans 12:15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When your friend gets a promotion, let's say you're working at the same company and your friend gets a promotion, are you happy for them? Or do you think, that should have been me? And if you're not, you probably have some envy issues. What do you want them to do? Turn it down because you're jealous? If it were you getting the promotion, uh, no, thank you. I don't, I don't want to hire a paycheck because my buddy might get jealous. I'm going to say my buddy needs to grow up. <laughs> Give me more money. I don't think anybody here would turn down a raise, a promotion, just because somebody else might get a little bit jealous. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When someone is happy, learn to be happy with them. When someone is sad, learn to be sad with them. That's called friendship. And you find out who your true friends are when your life is good and when your life is bad. You'll find out who they are. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think there's, there's actually two sub steps here. First of all, look around at what you have at your home. How much stuff do you really need? And learn to appreciate it. Because it could be worse. Go to a third world country, go to Mexico, just walk across the border and realize that we are rich compared to most people in the world. Look at your stuff and learn to appreciate what you have. Don't complain about what you don't have. <laughs> be, be happy about what you do have. Then the second sub step is look at your friends, because your friends will determine the type of life and type of attitude that you have. If you want to be proud, then hang out with proud people. If you want to um, uh, be obsessed with things, then hang out with people who are obsessed with things. The the folks who live in the zone, the folks that are on the pride trip highway, the guilt trip highway, the folks who who live in the land of ing, they all have something in common. Their heart condition is highly contagious. Hang out with people in in the land of ing. And before long, you'll be obsessed with earning housing, clothing, bling, bling, all of that stuff. Hang out with people that are on the pride trip highway and you'll become proud and you'll want stuff just as a status symbol. Um, we've got to realize that that our friends help determine the outcome of our lives. And the Bible says this. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three: Do not be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. You resemble people you run with. So if you want to live in the zone, hang out with people who live in the zone. If you want to live in the land of Ing, hang out with people who live in the land of Ing and you'll begin to resemble them. And and I just got to be real honest with you here. If I have the choice of, of hanging out with somebody who has an attitude of gratitude or a whiner. I can't stand whining. I mean, there's a rule at my house. We've actually put it up before. We had a poster that we took on some youth trips. And it was a big old, it had whining, and then it had the circle with the line through it. No whining. <laughs> I used to tell folks, in, in kids in my youth group, if you want to whine, here's the phone, call your parents and go home. I don't have time for that. Life is too short to hang out with people who are not happy with their lives. Now, I understand mourning, and we'll mourn with you when there's something to mourn about. But sometimes you need a friend who, who will be honest with you and say, it's not that bad. Why don't you look at the stuff you do have instead of the stuff you don't have and be grateful? And that leads me to the next point. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to, it, it's very close to the first one that I just, or the second one I just gave you. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Um, how many of you have ever seen Veggie Tales? You've seen VeggieTales? If you haven't and you're gonna have children someday, you'll love VeggieTales. My kids had them memorized. I had them memorized. I used to speak in VeggieTales all the time. My kids are a little bit old now. Well, Phil Vischer is the guy who created VeggieTales and his whole strategy was, um, uh, Saturday morning values, no, Sunday morning values, Saturday morning fun. And he declared at one point in this empire, VeggieTales went nuts. Just got huge. He declared, I want to take on Disney. I want to be the Christian Disney. Well, uh, a couple of years back, I don't even know when this book was written, a couple of years back, they went bankrupt. And they've had to reevaluate everything. And Phil Vischer wrote this book. It's kind of his story of how everything went terribly wrong and how now they're back on the right track. And if you happen to look on uh, Saturday mornings on uh, NBC, VeggieTales is actually one of the, the offerings now on, on uh, Saturday mornings. But listen to what he says. Lessons he learned from uh, living in the land of Ing. Check this out. Second lesson was ignore the voice that says you deserve it. Now, I'm going to read quite a bit. So hang on here. Whenever I travel, I now rent compact cars and stay at the Hampton Inn. Always. I don't care how careful I am uh, or how successful my new business might become. I've learned that once I start upgrading my travel accommodations, I'll start upgrading everything else, too. Everything will become more expensive. Once I, as the leader, start spending more money than necessary, everyone else will, too. They're watching. And then my entire organization will cost more each day than it should, which will begin to limit the sorts of opportunities I can pursue. Can't take that job. Not enough money in it. The more I limit my opportunities, the sooner my organization will cease to exist. It all starts, I think, when a voice shows up inside your head one day and whispers, you deserve it. I remember the first time I heard that voice, big idea, that's the name of the company. Big idea was booming and I was beginning to hire real executives coming from the companies like Kraft and GE. They were used to being paid like executives and living like executives. They drove executive cars, lived in executive houses and ate executive meals up until that point. I'd always lived modestly, though more out of necessity than deep philosophical conviction. But now I was hanging out with executives and their lives looked like fun. And then that little voice showed up in my head and said, you're an executive, too. After all, they work for you. Good heavens. The voice was right. I was more than just an executive. I was the CEO of a successful company. I was the executive of the executives. Look at all the hard work you've done. The voice continued. Look at what you've built. Don't you deserve it? And suddenly my cars started getting nicer and my meals fancier. I started eyeing nicer houses and nicer neighborhoods, executive neighborhoods. And suddenly everything at Big Idea started costing more meals, travel, equipment, everything, because we were successful and we deserved it. That little whisper, you deserve it comes, I believe, from the worst part of our sinful natures. The part that always wants another cookie, a bigger house, a nicer TV. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice that told Hitler he deserved Poland. Ow! Don't go there. Advertisers know the power of that voice and they use it relentlessly. The new car, the ridiculously high fat dessert, the fantastically overpriced watch. Do you need it? Of course not. But you deserve it. You start saying that. You've left the zone. And you're on a one way path. To problems and destruction and probably a very public um, spectacle when your life falls apart. And the enemy just grins. So we've got to learn to be. Uh, Content with what we have when we're not content with what we have. We buy things with money we don't have. I was doing some research for next week. And and in Texas, I'll have to look this back up in Texas. Three out of ten people have ten or more credit cards. What do you need with ten credit cards? Now, if that's you, you know, we're not going to ask you. We're not. We wouldn't do that. It would be kind of fun to count as you came to the door, but we won't do that. I promise. I promise. We admire things that other people have. And then here's my solution. Get to know those people and then say, can I borrow that? (laughs) (laughs) I become materialistic when I buy something to one up or to keep up. If that's my motive, I've crossed the line and there's no way I'm close to God. James 3.16 says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. So what that means is in the land of Ing, you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Who in their right mind would live in the land of Ing when God offers an alternative? The last thing, and this is the quickest way to defeat materialism in your life. Learn the secret of generosity. Second Corinthians eight, seven says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Generosity will cure you of materialism. Have you noticed many times the people with the highest net worth are not necessarily the most generous people? Doesn't have to be that way. Paul is saying that Christ followers ought to be the most giving people on the planet. Is that the reputation that we have? No, not usually. If God owns it all and God blesses those who bless others, then we ought to be the most blessing people in the world. Not just with our words, but with our actions. And here, he's not talking about when he says we ought to excel at giving, he's not talking about tithing. Because tithing's bringing, tithing's admitting what's already God's. When he's talking about giving, he's saying over and above tithing. That's when you get to talk about. Um, giving. Now, there are two types of getters in the world. Two types of getters. Velcro getters. What is a Velcro getter? Everything sticks to them. And then he going anywhere. I can't get it off. Then there's Teflon getters. Now, this is an egg. How cute. Right. It's like totally worthless. My wife bought this for me because I like eggs and I would make one egg and she didn't want me to get the whole pan messed up. But (laughs) like the handle gets hot and, you know, you burn yourself. It's totally worthless, but it's a good illustration. (laughs) Teflon. What what was so great about Teflon when it was invented? Nothing sticks sticks to it. Ronald Reagan, the Teflon president, because they tried to make all these accusations. Nothing stuck. God is looking for Teflon getters. Because they just pass along what God's given them. And when he finds one of those, he'll bless their socks off. Take your registration cards for just a second.